um, as you saw, we had VBS. Where is she going? Can we have the Briscoe family stand up for a minute? Stand up, Kathy. Stand up, Rick. Stand up, Ellie. Can we give them, they planned and executed this whole VBS and served every piece of it. So can we just give them a round of applause for that? It was a lot of work. Yeah, we had lot. I was going to say that Jackie and Stacy and Tina, who's not here, helped. And we also had youth helpers who helped a ton, like Caleb and Sonia and Liam and Micah. And yeah, I think that was it. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. And Sean. Sean, who helps us set up, he was a true hero. And he's not in here, but he was amazing. They showed up Tuesday morning, first day of VBS, to find out that this room that they were supposed to be using was supposed to be painted. And the district didn't know. Um, we didn't know. So they had to pivot. So Sean and Ellie made it work, and they still had fun. And they ended up having VBS in the computer classroom, which, as you know, is super stressful because there's computers. Okay, uh, Sam is not here, so there's no PowerPoint. I was like, maybe I could try to put one together on my own. No, no. You guys, I, so Sam and Josh come back sometime today from backpacking. And um, my other children, well, let's see, one's having a baby any day now in Dallas. And then my other two children went with my mom I've been alone for the last couple days. I thought I would love it. I hate it. My dad and I went to dinner last night because we're like, what do we do with ourselves? Now I understand when he cries every time my mom leaves. <laughs> he doesn't really cry. But he's like, where's, where's Maria? Why isn't she home? And I'm like, whatever. There's so much to do. There's projects. Yesterday, I got nothing done. Nothing. Because everybody was gone. I, I don't know what I wasted an entire day of my life. I don't even know why or how or what. I did do dishes, but I didn't have very many. Okay, so let's pray real quick before we jump in. Lord Jesus, um, I just thank you that you're here this morning, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that when we gather, that you come and you're in the midst of us, Jesus. So, Lord, I ask that you would come and you would just open our hearts to your word this morning. And you would just be with us, Lord God. Be with us. Give us a hunger for you, a hunger for your presence, a hunger for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing on with 2 Kings. We're in 2 Kings 4. We are. It's a huge chunk of passage. I was going to at least try to put the verse up. I just, you guys, me and technology. And everybody's gone. So, um... 2 Kings 4, we are going to be looking at verses 8 through 7. But there's three stories here in, in chapter 4. The first one we've got, a widow whose husband had been a faithful prophet of the Lord, and then she fell on hard times after his death, and a creditor came to take her boys away as slaves for repayment. So here, her husband had like a lifetime of faithfulness of following the Lord. And then you just see his whole family after he's gone just falling into disarray. And that, that widow goes to Elisha and says, help, what do I do? 
And um, she went in faith and did what Elisha said, and her livelihood was restored. You guys will have to go back and read it. It's, the whole chapter is great. The second story is the story we are going to look at today of the Shunammite woman. And then the third story was there's the company of prophets. They're in a time of famine without food. Elisha tells them, go make some soup. One of them finds some wild gourds, essentially ends up poisoning everybody. But then the Lord breaks in again, and um, there a disaster is averted. And then another guy shows up with bread, and it's miraculously multiplied. So these stories, though, are all just kind of normal life things. Like, sometimes it's easy to look at the prophetic and look at some of the things that God was doing in the Bible and just go, wow, that is not normal life. These are normal life situations. You've got people who are in debt. You've got people over here who are suffering from famine and natural disasters. You've got people, the Shunammite woman whose, whose son died. And these are just normal life things. And you see God breaking in to the normal life things, that he cares about the day in and the day out. So let's look at this. Um, I'm going to read through the whole thing, so bear with me, because it's a lot. Starting with verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. Call this Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him. And he said, he said to him, he's saying this to his servant, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her, her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled up the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. 
Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and he lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, then picked up her son and went out. So this Shunammite woman, he, I really like her. Everything I've read about I'm like, I, I like this woman. She, um, she knows who she is. In her culture and in that time, she was very assertive, and she got things done, and she got her way. So she's just living her own life. We don't even know her name. Like, she shows up a few chapters later, and she's still the Shunammite woman. We have no clue who she is other than that. Um, we do know she had wealth and status. Um, we, the fact that she was able to just tell her husband, hey, we're going to do a room addition for this prophet. And he's like, okay. You know, that's my husband would be like, no, we're not doing a room addition for anybody, uh, let alone just some random man of God. But there, that was where they were at in this place of life. They were able to do that, and they recognized he was a man of God. So Elisha, he rightly so wants to do something for her. He wants to repay her. But what do you give the person who has everything? Like, I don't know about you, but I have the hardest time getting presents for, like, my in-laws and my parents because they don't need anything, and they surely don't want anything else. Like, I, they're tired of, like, at least my parents, I think they're tired of all the hand-drawn cards because there's 15 grandkids, and, <laughs> you know, it's like, enough. So, I, you know, what do you give somebody who has everything? He's like, hey, I could put in a good word with the king, and she's like, no, I, I'm good. Um, so he's mulling it over with his servant, and he's like, she doesn't want anything. And his servant goes, I know. Leave it to a bunch of men sitting alone in a room together. I know she needs a kid. Let's complicate her life. She doesn't have one, and her husband's really old. So let's let's do this. And he's like, yes. Um, you know, like having a child was a big deal in that culture. But he calls her in, and she's like, no, no. Don't lie to your servant. She tries to refuse the gift. She goes, no, I know. Well, wouldn't you know it, she has a boy. And the boy dies, like at a pretty young age. We don't know about how how old, but he was pretty young. So here she gets this, it's almost like this carrot that's been dangled in front of a rabbit and then pulled away. It must have felt like a double blow. God had given a gift, and then God had taken it away. But this woman is not some weak, passive woman, as we saw. So her son is dead, and she pulls up her bootstraps, and she pulls into action. 
she's like, I got to take matters into my own hands. So first she goes to her husband. She's like, give me the donkey. Give me a servant. He's like, but, and she's like, I'm going. He's like, okay. He doesn't even argue with her. Like, you just, he's kind of like, why? But he doesn't even argue with her. No questions asked. His wife is just taken off with the donkey and a servant. And um, he doesn't, like, there's no exchange of how's the child. It's just all is well. We're going. And then she tells that servant, don't stop, don't slow down, just go. So clearly her husband trusts her enough to just let her head off. Then she gets straight to Elijah. And the servant's trying to go in, and she's like, bypasses him too, like, all's well. I, I want Elisha. She's going straight to the man of authority because that's what you have to do. We have to go straight to God when things are good. And she's like, I'm not messing with you, not messing with you. We'll go straight to this man who promised me this child. And I love what she does because she just looks at him and she goes, did I ask you for a son? She says, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say don't deceive me? So she's throwing the whole responsibility back at him. Like, you created this mess. You get me out of this mess. And he's like, well, let me send my servant. And she goes, "Uh uh-uh, that's not good enough for me. I will not leave you. I mean, that, like, you guys know, because we've gone through, as Sam has taught, on what the culture was like back then. It is not like if I were to throw myself at somebody's feet right now, they would be like, whatever. That was, I mean, she was literally throwing herself at his mercy and breaking all kinds of cultural rules by doing this and just saying no. Out of her desperation, she's like, no, I'm going straight to the source. So we see in the story that Elisha prays and the boy is restored to life. I love what um, I was reading one of the, Sam, whenever I teach, he prints out like every commentary for me off of his computer program, which I love because I, it just, I love it. So I have like piles and then I'll call him and I'm like, why did you give me that one? I don't like that person. I don't like the way they were talking. And then it's, it's fun. So he had all these stacks. So I had been reading through them for the last few weeks of all the commentaries. And I love what one of them said. He said it was God's gift to the Shunammites that made her needy. Because we see in here she needed nothing. It was literally God's gift that brought her to desperation. Let that sink in. The gift that God gave her is what created her need and desperation. Like how many times... I was, I was thinking this through in, in our own life. How many times have we cried out to God because the very thing we prayed for and we finally get, like it becomes a weight later on, like, or a disaster, or it's just hard. I think of my children, like, there's times I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I don't know if I really wanted children, you know? <laughs> like, I do love my children. Um, or, you know, how many of you, you've got the husband you prayed for for years and find out he's kind of hard sometimes to live with. Or um, the job that you wanted is now super stressful. Uh, and all, or the friendships that you prayed for for years and then they turn sour. And it doesn't mean they've all come to an end. It's just sometimes they're just hard. This same commentator said, God's grace and gifts appear to be a mixed bag. There's a lot of sad along with the glad. And that's, that's just so true. Often when we receive the answer to a prayer or a promise, it seems sometimes to come with baggage, for lack of a better word. And it's easy to give in to offense and be, then to begin to point the finger back at God. And that's what most of us naturally do. 
Instead, we have to have eyes to see that God has got something deeper he's doing here. Just like with this Shunammite woman, God had something deeper he was doing. In Psalm 23, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So God doesn't necessarily always take us out of the hardship or the difficulties or the situation, but he promises to walk with us through it. And that's the hard part. That is because I am telling you, sometimes in difficulties, like I'm just like, I just want to shut down instead of press in. And what this woman did was she pressed in. You look at like throughout the Bible, you look at Moses. So Moses and the Israelites, he sends, God sends Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. And they're headed toward the promised land. And where do they end up? In the desert for 40 years where they're like crying out to God, did you just bring us out here to let us die? I mean, they're literally, God is just must have been, well, he did. Like you saw the exchange with he and Moses several times. But he let them out, and they literally were there wandering before they had reached the promised land. And they didn't all make it either because they grumbled and complained. Abraham, he waited years for his promised son. Only be told one day, God's like, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And at this point, he had walked through so much with God that he's like, okay, I trust you. Doesn't make sense, but I trust you. And as we know, God provided a sacrifice. But at the end of his life, it says that God had blessed him in all things. Job, Job went through literal hell and lost everything in his life. Yet he trusted God. He clung to him. So Moses could have given up in the desert. He could have. And there were times he did, but he kept coming back to God again and again. And while he didn't make it to the promised land, Joshua did, who he raised up. Abraham, he messed up so many times. And he could have ignored God when God asked him to lay down the promise. But at this point, he knew he couldn't afford not to trust God. Job could have done what his wife said, cursed God and died. But he clung to God, knowing he was the only way forward. So um, most of you guys know we moved to Kansas City in two at the end of 2008. So a few weeks ago, remember I shared the story of the uh, financial the uh, inheritance story? For those that were here, we got like this inheritance. It was money I had been praying for. Um, this is that year. So we literally, so this is 2008, um, I had been praying that entire year and had been telling Sam, I think we're going to be in full-time ministry at the end of the year. Like, it was, I just kept, along with that money thing, I kept going, I feel like we're going to be in full-time ministry end of this year. I just feel like that's what the Lord says. Um, we had prayed, we had fasted, and contended with the Lord since returning from uh, Tibet in 2001. And because we did not want to be in the business world, we wanted to do full-time ministry. And yet God placed Sam right in the business world. We longed for nothing else. Well, then we had this crazy, amazing God story of moving to Kansas City, and we pulled in literally into Kansas City, December 31st, 2008. Like, you could not have, it just, that's just literally how it worked out. You could not have made any of that happen. So we'd been back from the U.S. for eight years. We'd been living in California, and like I said, we'd just been praying and praying and praying, Lord, we just want to be in ministry. And the Lord opened up this amazing door in t Kansas City, and we ran through it. So it's like you would think after eight years of pushing through and praying, it's like finally we've got this answer to our prayer. 
and this is going to be amazing. Let me tell you, our expectations were so high for Kansas City. Um, we were there five years. The first three years were miserable. They were so hard. Okay, so Sam and I have this rule in our marriage, and I'm going to just give you, if you're not married, or even if you are, I'm going to just give you this little thing. We do not make major life decisions and moves without us both being on the same page. Because, let me tell you a little key, like somebody said, you're the husband, you need to just tell her to submit and get in line, and Sam was like, huh, <laughs> you don't know my wife, <laughs> that's not how it works here, because when it gets hard later, she's going to blame me smart man because it got hard and I couldn't blame him. I blame God. He did try to do that to us once. Um, my dad will never let me forget it because I was so mad at Sam and I was saying some words I shouldn't have said to my dad and uh, like bad words and he won't ever let me live that down that I said these. But we literally flipped Oregon in 2001 because we thought Sam thought we were going to move there and he was going to make this decision for us. And um, God intervened our last night there and gave him a dream and was like, buddy, go home. He didn't say go home and do what your wife said. It was just go home, basically. So you have to make those decisions together, okay? Because you want them to blame God and go to God and wrestle it through with God later on. So Kansas City, we, um, oh my goodness, you guys. I, I had so many stories from that those first three years. So we pull into this rental property that I had rented Sight unseen off Craigslist, right? Nothing could go wrong with that, right? Like, they were part of the church. They loved the Lord. It was supposed to be amazing. Mm -mm. Let me tell you. Um, there was a trailer in the driveway. I have all the pictures. I pulled them up to make sure I wasn't exaggerating. I have all the pictures saved, and it, I could have put them up here if I knew how to do all that. So we pull into the driveway, and there's a trailer there and a huge pile of trash next to it. The garage door is open, and there's, like, a, I don't know if it was broken or what, fridge just sitting in, like, the garage doorway. So we couldn't even unload, like, anything. There was stuff everywhere. There was glass all over the backyard. There was mold and stuff from leaks in the ceiling. Um, I don't think the toilets had ever been cleaned. I don't think the oven had ever been cleaned either. The cabinets were disgusting. I cried, literally cried, and I said, we are not renting this place. I don't care what deposit was put down. I am not staying here. Um, but Sam was far more practical. My dad called the landlord who came over, or we called the landlord. My dad, I was like his in hysterics. I couldn't talk to anybody. So my dad's talking to the landlord, and he literally says to them, he couldn't understand why I was upset. Like, we're looking around. My mom's literally picking glass out of the backyard so the kids could go out there. I mean, there was like, there was poison all I it was, it was disgusting. Okay, and so he's like, man, this was just, I thought this was like a kingdom transaction, one Christian family to another. No, this was not a kingdom transaction. This is your lousy landlord. So um, we, we stayed. We stayed for a little while. Uh, I had heard my whole life how friendly they are in the Midwest. I was even told one time flying back from, from somewhere, they were like, oh, Kansas City. People are going to show up with casseroles at your front porch and meals. They didn't. They didn't. Nobody showed up. Mm -mm. Nobody showed up. They did not like outsiders, at least where we were. You guys, the bugs. How many of you have been to the Midwest? 
Have you seen the bugs? Okay, so there's these things. They were like cave crickets or spiders. I don't, I don't know what they are. It's like a cross between a cricket and a spider, and they hop. And they're, Google it. I, I kid you not, Google these things. Um, every time I'd go to the garage to do laundry, they were in there, and they'd look at me, and it was like they'd start to, like, move toward me. And it was just like, they, they would literally try to attack me doing laundry. Mowing the lawn, same thing. Big black grasshoppers or crickets or something. I don't know. They would attack you when you're out mowing the lawn. I was like, this is freaky. Um, wolf spiders. You guys have wolf spiders? Yeah. I can't see without my contacts. So, you know, and I had small kids at this point. So I'm taking a shower, and I'm like, go to kick one of the kids' toys away. It ran back at me. <laughs> I ran out of there. It was a wolf spider. They're like the size of mice. I kid you not. Google it. I kid you not. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm still traumatized. I, I thought it was a dinosaur. It, it was. It had come to life. It was literally night at the museum. Dinosaur. Um, it tried to attack me. And, and there were mice, and there were roaches. There's chiggers. They spray their grass because there's chiggers that, like, eat you alive. And then watch out for the ticks. You guys, who lives willingly in the Midwest? That, you don't live in Kentucky anymore for a reason. It's the bugs, huh? Or Arkansas. Yes, no. Do not go to the Midwest, you guys, unless God calls you. Because you walk out and there's like a snake on my porch one day. And it's like, oh, I'm out of here. I had raccoons in my garage. and the, I don't know. It was horrible. Three young kids. My kids were six. They were four. And they were one. So I'm getting some of these stories out of order. But I want to tell you some of the horrors that we experienced those first three years out of the five. But I want you to know the whole time we were going through this, we knew we were right where we were supposed to be. We were in the center of where God wanted us. And, that, and because of that, we were able to hold on and to stick it out. So, and we saw the goodness of God. But I am telling you, I never want to relive those three years ever again, ever they were, um, so while we were living here, we were, uh, we were doing good financially, and we were super stupid, and we decided, hey, we're going to lease two new cars, and then we'll get new cars every three years, because we're young and dumb, and why not? So we got these two new cars, and then we end up in full-time ministry. And so it's like, well, shoot, now we need to actually get a car, and we can't afford new cars. Um, so my lease was up while I was pregnant with Micah. And I had the family car. Sam had a Honda Civic that only seated five, and we had a fourth child on the way. So clearly, do the math. Five people could fit in the car, and there were going to be six of us. So um, my Honda, yeah, my Honda Pilot, um, like, we are weeks away from having to turn it in. And every time that I'm pregnant, I hit something with the car because that's just what I did. And the garages were like, it wasn't just a double garage door. It was like your own little single garage and then your own little single garage. Like, why? Why make it difficult? They're like, let's set up some more poles so that it's an obstacle course for women. <laughs> so I pulled in and I took off the passenger mirror. Like, I took it off. Okay, we are so broke at this point. Like, it is not even funny. You guys all know Sam, right? 
you know he doesn't, he's not a DIY person. He can't do it himself. He, he just, he is so skilled in so many things as long as it doesn't involve manual labor. So he takes it into the dealership and they're like, quote, it's some insane price. So he's like, no, I'm going to do this. And he buys the part and he cannot do it. So I am just as great as Sam is and I'm like, I can do it because I am Craig Paul's daughter, so I can do this. So I Google it and watch these YouTube videos while he's at work, and I start tearing the car door apart. Like, literally, because, like, the wires that came through, like, I, it was all, I don't know. I got it apart, and I had just started putting, I had gotten the wires, I had just started putting it back together. I'm telling you it was an all-day thing. It probably takes a normal human an hour, but it took me all day. And I had just got it in, and now it was just reinstalling the final mirror piece but it was just hanging there. And Sam calls me, and he's like, hey, I need you to come down to the school. He was um, on the faculty at the International House of Prayer. He was kind of doing several different things, but one of the things was teaching at the Bible school. And there was a move of God that had started. And it just, sovereign move of the Holy Spirit started in one of the classrooms one day, and it just kept going and going and going. And so he's like, you need to come down here, bring the kids. And I'm just like, he has no idea what I have going on out there in the garage. And the last place I wanted to be was church. I was tired. I was grumpy. And um, yeah, so I didn't tell him till later. So I load the kids up and I'm like, do not breathe a word about this to dad because I got to fix this before I tell him or he's going to flip. So it's like clanging along the side of the car as I'm driving over. I had to drive really carefully, but it was like still clanging. And they're like, first thing they say is, Mom tore apart the car. And he was like, I fixed it, you guys. I fixed it. I, man, if you need something done, call me. I will, <laughs> I will not tell you no. I will tell you we can do this even if we can't. Um, then at some point there, we got out of our lease because the mold issue kept growing and reappearing all over, and it was horrible, and I was pregnant, and I was done, and so they ended up letting us break our lease. So we moved one city over to this little city called Grandview. Let me tell you about Grandview. Actually, let me tell you what Forbes said about Grandview. In remember, we moved to, uh, out to Kansas City December 31st, 2008. Well, in December of 2008, Grandview, Missouri was on Forbes' list of the 10 fastest dying cities in the U.S. <laughs> Holy where you want to take your family, right? Um, their school districts and the school districts in South Kansas City all lost, the public schools all lost their accreditation. I didn't even know that public schools could lose accreditation. I mean, we are talking about winning out here. Kansas City and Grandview, they were winning. Uh, so we, we end up, I'm pregnant, three small kids. We load up our moving truck alone. Remember, people in the Midwest don't like anybody yet, so we're still super alone. So we, Sam and I, loaded that moving truck, and we looked at each other, and Sam goes, let's take this truck back to California. I said, let's do it. We didn't. We took it down to Grandview and unloaded it. Um, Micah, he was born in early 2010, just 13 months after we had arrived, and he came in the middle of my family having the flu. And I had decided, I don't like Kansas City. Therefore, I don't like the hospitals in Kansas City. I am doing a home birth. And um, something I had always mocked my mom for. But I did a home birth. Well, 
my whole family was sick with the flu. So they are like all gathered around. Josh came down. Fortunately, none of my children remember because this was not in my birth plan to have my children there. It just was not. My son, Josh, I don't know. He's like four or five. I don't know how old he was. Comes downstairs with a bag of popcorn to watch the show. <laughs> I was like, where, where's my family? My mom, do not tell her this. I'm bitter. My mom canceled her flight to Kansas City because we all had the flu. She's like, I'll come later. My mom! I am like, we are alone. You know how we survived? So Sam starts throwing up like the minute Mike is born. So he's like quarantined in one room. We survived by my six-year-old making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, that is how we survived. A couple of the students showed up with some meals. Um, typically, when an 18-year-old brings you a meal, it's frightening, but it, it, it helped. It was a lifesaver. I remember the midwife showed up to do a wellness, like postpartum wellness check, and they were, I, you guys, they, they probably wanted to call whatever their version of, yes, yeah, social services on us. Like, it was so bad. They were horrified. I was horrified because I let people into my house like this. I had dishes piled up, and there was just stuff everywhere, and they looked at me, and I said, We've all been so sick. I'm so sick. She goes, don't you have any help? I said, no, my mom canceled a plane ticket. My mom did show up later and took off with my children, my two older children, to New York. I was like, I want to go to New York. But that's what they did. Um, it was a nightmare. My local grocery store is called Price Chopper. We used to take people. We took Mandy when she came to visit. Mandy, well, when she was Briscoe. Um, so... Price Chopper is where the my local grocery store, you need to grasp this, this is where I have to go shopping, and this is what I encountered. This is one of many stories. So I show up at Price Chopper, and I put on Facebook, full-blown flight, can't talk, full-blown fight in Price Chopper, girls throwing things at each other, police escorting girls out in handcuffs. Interesting night. Literally what had happened was I walk in, and we're like, I needed something like out of this section. I don't like the produce section where they were. And um, there's these two women, one holding a baby, and they are having a fight because like they had the same baby daddy is what I gathered from like observing for a minute. And so like I think they had just found out they shared in the same baby daddy in the store at that moment. And so one of them literally had a wine bottle that she was ready to smash over. And so I was like, um, excuse me do you want me to take the baby before you hit her? And then they both turned on me. And I kid you not, I was like, I had to just slip away because she said some, some words to me, and I was like, oh, they both know. I don't care about the baby daddy thing. I'm just going to step away. This is my local grocery store. Once a week, I experience stuff like this on a regular basis. So this is in the midst of a season of here is the promise, right? Here is the promise of we are now in full-time ministry, the thing we've been praying for for years and years and years and years and years. And we are, here we are, right in the center of God's will, and it looks nothing like we imagined. Nothing. One month, Sam's paycheck doesn't go in. They didn't really pay much, but what we needed, what, we, what he got, uh, doesn't show up. Turns out the guy who had overseen that department had left, and so they dissolved the whole department but failed to notify anybody in the department. This is the kind of chaos. 
we had a ton of tension with a family member that was living there. Oh, this whole time we, we had a family member there, just FYI. They didn't know we existed. Um, so this person, it was not my in-laws who go to this church. They weren't there yet. It was not them, though. So this person really thought that I was a lousy mother, and um, she let me know. And she let me know so many times that I actually believed it, too. Um, like, I really struggled with a lot of things she said. So one day, she decides that she's going to confront me. We have almost no relationship at this point, but she's going to confront me on the way I'm raising my small children. Um, so she got a third person, which happened to be a well-known pastor in that community, pulled his wife in, who had no idea. She just thought she didn't know what she was coming into. She ends up apologizing to me later. But what happened and what came out of it was, I don't really like you. I don't really like the way your kids interact with my kids. Uh, we don't play the same way you guys play. And basically, you just do your thing. I'll do my thing. And um, it was horrible. Like our first Easter there, Sam was gone with the students on a ministry trip. And uh, he mentions it to this, the husband of this family member. And they were like, we've got people coming over. We're busy. Sorry. So I took my three small children to McDonald's and the movies on Easter alone and then went home and cried. Like, I was like, you guys are like close family. So um, that, that was insane. We, uh, we ended up, Sam had a lot of ministry trips with these students and outreach trips. And one of them was to Washington, D.C. And so he's like, okay, you guys are coming on this one, you and the kids. Of course, my kids got sick. They were always sick in this season of life, always. And insurance was non-existent for us. It, this is all pre-Obamacare, so none of us had insurance. It was like, it was insane. So um, we had planned to stop at the Creation Museum coming home. And we had it all planned out. Saturday morning at the Creation Museum, Saturday night we're heading home. It's closed on Sunday, and we were going to be back, back in Kansas City. Well, turns out that Hannah slipped, split her chin open. We spent the day in the ER, literally the day. I don't know why. Kentucky takes that long. Your people, they took a long time to get us in and out. <laughs> so by the time we got out, it was closed. But while we were there, Sam got an email from one of the higher-ups on the faculty. And this woman said, um, sent a scathing email about why weren't you at this meeting last week. I cannot, and like on and on, I cannot believe you missed it. Everybody else was represented except for you. And then she took it to, where do your loyalties lay? Maybe you're not even a good fit for us out here. May like it was this, it went from you didn't show up to a meeting to maybe you're not even a good fit and you need to go home. And Sam's like, what meeting is she talking about? So he emails back all these apologies. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about this meeting. She emails back, no apology. I kid you not. No apology. Said, my assistant just told me she never notified you. And that was it. Like, no, no retracting. Like, all these harsh words, all this stuff, nothing. Um, that little visit to the hospital ended up costing us, like, five grand. On our way home, Sam found a shortcut after leaving the hospital. And it was dusk. And the snow was falling, and it was super beautiful, and we're on this farm road we had no right to be on, but hey, it was a shortcut. And we had lost cell service, and so he's like, well, the map just said go this way. And we're looking at each other, and I'm going, 
I, I, I don't think so. I think we should turn back. I, this is not good. No cell service. It's dark. It's snowing. I just slippery roads. So he turns around, and he got stuck in a ditch. And um, we couldn't get out of the ditch. And I looked at him. I was so mad at this point after that day. It had been a tense day. Oh, and then the hospital, you know, it was us and all our children, all four children in the waiting room of the hospital because it was us. So I look at him, and I said, you need to fix this. He goes, how am I supposed to fix this? I said, you need to fix this. Figure it out. He goes, I can't fix it. I said, get out of the car. And he's like, okay. He gets out of the car, and I said, I think the devil's trying to kill us, and you just need to talk to God about this because I'm done. And he was like, okay. So I got back in the car, and he prayed. He got back in the car. He drove right out of the ditch. Like, it was amazing. And we just drove back to the freeway, and we just kind of – Lord, help us with that. Um, while we were there in Kansas City, I had my 30th birthday, and I had had dreams for years about huge parties surrounded by my friends. Instead, found, Sam found some random couple we had just met that day and invited them to dinner. <laughs> we never clicked with that couple ever. I think that was the only time we hung out with them. They were really nice, though. Um, one night we heard gun, a gunshot, and then something hit our house. And gunshots we heard often. We were in the fastest, one of the fastest dying cities in the U.S. And there was always, like, the police had come so many times. They were like, you need an alarm system. You need dogs. We do foot chases through your backyard. You need a higher fence. So I am done. I'm done. I'm like, you know what, whoever out there is out there, he's going to meet Jesus. And um, I'm, I'm done. So I went and put my tennis shoes on. Because Sam's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going out there. And he's like, what are you just stop. And I'm like, no, put on my tennis shoes. I walk outside. Fortunately, it was just as the police were pulling up because somebody had called the police down the, from down the street. So they were lucky that the police showed up before I did. They got off a lot easier. Um, oh my gosh, another time some kid threw a rock in the backyard because there were all these apartments and the kids were home alone all during the day. And because um, it was it was like Section 8 housing. And so most of these kids were from single-parent homes, and so they just took care of themselves, which involved throwing rocks because you're a kid. What do you do? So they threw this piece of asphalt, and it took out Kayla, like in the back of her shoulder. That was kind of scary. Uh, friendships were non-existent for us. It's the International House of Prayer, it was such a transient, still is, I am sure, such a transient community that the people who were there long-term, they couldn't be bothered with any of the new arrivals. They literally were like, uh-uh, we're not interested in new people. So it literally took three years before people would were willing to do anything with us. We hated the weekends because it meant nothing on Saturday. Church on Sunday would sit by ourselves, but we loved Monday through Friday because then we were busy. We pushed through so much hardship because we knew we knew the Lord had led us there. And the two years that came after that were some of the best years that we ever had. I still, I made some of the best friends that I had ever had, and still to this day, I'm very close to a lot of them. But it was literally hard. It was hard. And it was like, Lord, you led us here, and nothing is going right. And I could tell you a hundred more stories, but I won't. hundred more literally, of just everything that could go wrong every single week went wrong. Every week. At one point, the, what, I, what I described to someone was 
I felt like I was laying on a train track waiting for the train to pass. And every time I'd put up my head to see if it was the coast was clear, I'd get hit again. It was just this constant barrage of it was just hard. It was depressing and it was hard. But many of us are in the same place as that Shunammite woman was when she found that her son, her promise, was dead. And so while we may not have the literal dead child in front of us, maybe some of us, it's a little bit of our hearts. We got what we wanted, and then it hasn't worked out like it was supposed to or like we had imagined or dreamed. Or maybe you haven't even gotten that far yet. Maybe you're still waiting for the promise and the prayer to be answered. But what we have to do instead of getting distracted or complaining or throwing ourselves into fights with, you know, our friends, our family or whoever, we need to throw ourselves at God's feet like she did. We can't, we have to press in and not avoid the pain of it. Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And some of us have so numbed ourselves that we're not even in the broken and contrite anymore. And I feel like that's one of the things the Lord wants to do this morning is that he wants to address our hearts because we've been disillusioned by God. And it's not that God's done it. It's that we're not understanding what he's doing in this season and what he's trying to get out of us. So let's do this. Let's all stand up. Missy, do you want to just come play for a little bit, for a minute? Let's take a minute and just stand before the Lord, just silently with your eyes closed, and just search your hearts and just see if that's you. Some of you, you're going to know instantly. You're going to be like, yep, I know exactly what that is. And then I'm going to call you forward in, in just a minute. But let's just take a second. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to just search your hearts. Lord, we come before you 